HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved, with over 20 international blind tasting awards. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. You have to wait until the fruit or the vegetable has become fully, fully ripe, and in some cases, well beyond when it tastes good. So for example, if you have a favorite kind of lettuce and you want to save the seeds from your heirloom lettuce, all you have to do is let some of the lettuce go to flower, the flowers drop off, and then the seed gets brown and dry and lettuce seed is really, really small. And then what I do is cut off the top, put it in a brown paper bag and hang it in a cool, dry place. You store them properly and you can have them for decades. I always thought of it as, why is it negative to say going to seed? It's the fruition of the plant's life. It's passing its genetic material on. It's a beautiful thing. It's a positive thing. To save seeds is to have hope. That's Carmen DeVito, professional garden designer and host of We Dig Plants on HRN, on how to save seeds in your own backyard. Today, we delve into the wider worlds of seed preservation, indigenous seed rights, and farmer-managed seed systems. Whether you're a professional farmer, avid gardener, or your relationship with seeds simply involves snacking on them, we'll introduce you to chefs, activists, and plant scientists who are changing the ways seeds are saved and shared. We'll visit urban farms, seed banks, and kitchens to shed light on the cultural, environmental, and culinary significance of these small but mighty pods that carry with them millennia of history, as well as hope for the future. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this is Meat and 3 on HRN. Meat and 3. Meat and 3. Meat and 3. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three. Seeds are at the front and center of indigenous food sovereignty efforts. Vaidehi Kujiati speaks to seed keeper and member of the Tlingit Nation, Kirsten Kirby Shute, to understand why. 
Kirsten's journey with urban agriculture began in Detroit, Michigan, seven years ago. Originally from the Pacific Northwest, Kirsten is an urban farmer, seed keeper, and a member of the Lingit Nation. Since moving, Kirsten has worked closely with local seed keepers and knowledge keepers to promote indigenous food sovereignty. My main mission, I guess, to say is to uh, grow out our indigenous seeds and provide food for the urban indigenous community out here. Um, Because through food is where we learn our culture, our traditions, our knowledge. um, And we really have to practice that in order for it to have longevity and sustain itself. While most of Kirsten's work is culinary-facing, it is informed by a strong understanding of the importance of seeds in indigenous foodways. And caring for seeds is central to this. Seed-keeping is, is definitely the act of you know, keeping seeds. However, it also is the act of keeping seed stories and preserving where these plant relatives have come from and their relationship to us and the original agreements that we've made with our seeds to protect them and nurture them that they've also made to us to protect and nurture us. Seed keeping goes hand in hand with seed rematriation or the intergenerational movement of indigenous people to bring seeds and food back to indigenous communities. Kirsten's work with iCollective, an organization promoting indigenous food sovereignty, underscores this connection. Our seeds are our lifeblood, and without having access to that, without um, having the opportunity to grow out these seeds, really puts a giant gap in our cultures. Every culture is inexplicably tied to their food ways and how they harvest and how they prepare these foods to nourish their community. And my work with iCollective is about cooking. It's uh, culinary facing a lot of the time. And it's probably one of the best ways to get people to actually care and pay attention to the importance of rematriation because that's ultimately what does feed us and what nourishes us on a spiritual level as well as a full tummy level. Bringing food and seeds back to Indigenous communities is an act of healing and care, but it is also an act of survival. Looking forward, Kirsten believes that this will be key in combating climate change. What you hear about climate change and about food shortages and problems with our food system in general are the result of trauma to the land and practicing our foodways and leaning on Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous practices around food is what I perceive as the future of our food system in general. For Kirsten, this means cultivating the seeds of native and non-native plants that are climate resilient. Kirsten has been planting patches of them in their garden every year. They have also been developing recipes leaning towards the future of indigenous food specific to Detroit. 
and in doing so, Kirsten is setting the path to sustainable and climate resilient food in the microregion of Detroit. Sean Sherman, an Oglala Lakota Sioux chef based in Minneapolis, is also working on indigenous food sovereignty and seed rights in the Midwest. Alex Tran talks to him about how and why he's tackling these issues from the kitchen. Starting out dishwashing at 13 before working the ranks to the executive chef position at 27, Sean was doing mostly what everyone in the culinary world was doing, learning more about European cuisines and sharpening his skill by making European dishes. Yet one day, everything changed. One day I had the epiphany of doing what I'm doing, just realizing the complete absence of indigenous foods out there in the culinary world at all. And even just realizing that I knew very little about indigenous foods. So for me, it took myself on a path to try and understand what my Lakota ancestors were eating. And it is with this mindset that Sean runs his trending restaurant, Owamni, in Minneapolis. At the restaurant, you know, we have a um, kind of a decolonized purpose. So we try to cut away colonial ingredients to really showcase what modern indigenous foods are today of where we are um, and we're in Minnesota. Um, and so we focused a lot of the recipes and things around right where we are to make food taste exactly like where we are. But we prioritize purchasing from indigenous producers first and locally first and then nationally. And so we're able to get a lot of really cool native um, seeds that are still out there on the market. Sean shared this decolonizing mission with other tribal communities through the Indigenous Food Lab. The Indigenous Food Lab is designed to work directly with tribal communities so we can help them develop their own menus and recipes for their community, whether they're cooking out of a community center or elder center or something like that, or if they have entrepreneurs that we're trying to start up a business and we can help um, develop them and support them. Um, and the vision was always to create uh, multiple access points of Indigenous Food Labs and start to create extensions. So we're already working on that. Right now we're working on creating extensions in Anchorage, Alaska, Bozeman, Montana, in Rapid City, South Dakota over the next few years. Apart from decolonizing the indigenous menu, Sean is also advocating for indigenous seat rights through his restaurant and other outreach works. As board member of the Seed Saber Exchange, one of the largest non-profit native seed banks, and of Dream of Wild Health, an intertribal farm that is working to serve the native community agriculturally, Sean is pushing for seed saving awareness on multiple fronts. I started working with Dream World Health really early on back then. Um, when I around the time I was starting the sous chef, um, I discovered people like Rowan White, um, who was doing a lot of indigenous food sovereignty and seed seed saving work. And um, I was brought on to the Seed Savers Exchange Board back then. Also, um, I worked really closely with people in NAFSA, um, who has the the native seed. Um, they have the, they have an indigenous seed keeping um, program there also indigenous seed keepers network i believe it's called um and just you know just really keeping an, an eye out for that and getting to know a lot of the local farmers and people growing things here so this part of the work became a real important focus of trying to find these seeds trying to find people growing these seeds make, raising awareness about these utilizing these seeds in some um, um, community work and you know cooking these seeds and just you know, trying to celebrate that diversity and just trying to get people to understand why it's important to steward all of this uh, diversity for the next generations. And it is this understanding that Sean believes to be the key to preserving indigenous resilience to monopolizing forces, as well as the effects of climate change. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's so dangerous to um, give so much power of so much uh, food to a very small group that's obviously out for just profits and control. Um, and it's, you know, I think it makes the work even more important to do whatever we can to steward indigenous seeds and keep them in the hands of indigenous peoples and really fight against that monopolization of, of the world's seed holdings, you know, because a lot of these seed keepers um, who have been growing and um, stewarding a lot of these seeds, you know, for countless generations um, you know we're gonna have to be very watchful to and try to be adaptive as possible as we go through this kind of massive shift um, in climate um, and you know there's because there's not much else we can do but you know indigenous peoples um, have always been very resilient and I think that's just being so in tune with the, the changing weather patterns and things that we're going to continue to um, be able to you know just again be adaptive and, and roll with it because that's the only choice we really have. Efforts from Sean and his organizations are helping to spread awareness of seed saving practices as well as the indigenous ingredients and food ways. While it will be a challenging path to regain access to native seeds and lost culinary history, this is still a hopeful beginning to a longer journey of seed rematriation. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a short break. Tequila creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. 818 is created from fully matured blue agave from the Los Altos and Valles regions of tequila. It is then slow-cooked for over 30 hours, extracted using traditional Tejona wheels, distilled twice in copper pot stills, and aged in American and French oak barrels. Their tequilas have received over 25 blind tasting awards. They strive for excellence in every sip. 818's Blanco is sweet and smooth, with undertones of tropical and citrus fruits. Their reposado is soft and balanced, with notes of caramel and vanilla. And their añejo is elegant and velvety, with crisp herbal notes and a warm vanilla finish. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their tequila and find it near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Anna Canny brings us to the hot desert climate of southern Arizona, where the need to develop and preserve climate-resilient seeds feels especially urgent. A seed can tell the story of thousands of years of human ingenuity. And out in the arid southwest, that story includes adaptation to some of the most challenging conditions, conditions that are intensifying with climate change. So that is high temperatures, that is drought or water scarcity, and also just the, the precariousness of the weather, the variability of it. Um, and I think that's something we're going to be dealing with all over the country and world is that changing climate. And so that variation has real consequences for growers who are used to particular climate seeds, are used to particular climates, and then that climate starts changing. That's Dr. Andrea Carter with Native Seed Search, a nonprofit seed bank in Tucson, Arizona. Seed banks can be used for many different purposes. 
Deep in the mountains of Norway, the global seed vault hides the world's crops away in case of a doomsday scenario. And in Steffi University libraries across the world, seeds are preserved for research. The NSS approach is a little different. We do have that aspect to us of, okay, conserving the seeds, um, but that conservation model is really rooted in seed distribution. That these seeds are conserved and preserved through actively being grown and consumed and shared. It's not a stagnant process. They're not just being stored for the future. Do not touch them. It's all about getting them out in communities with a particular emphasis on connecting these seeds to communities of origin, to the communities that have cultural affiliations and connections to these seeds. In other words, the NSS seed bank freezes seeds like any other seed bank, but their collection also sprawls across the Southwest. Seeds are cultivated in community gardens and on small farms, where growers can reconnect with seeds as a cultural resource. The repository focuses mostly on food crops. That's corn, beans, and squash. But they have nearly 2,000 varieties, including many rare and wild seeds, like teosinte, a wild grass that's believed to be the primary ancestor of domestic corn. That's really cool to see growing and then see it next to a corn plant. And it's such a great example of human ingenuity and, and the work of indigenous people over thousands of years to go from that to what we have today. The corn plants in particular remind Andrea of the deeper significance of seeds. The maize, the corn varieties, those have really impressed upon me the beauty of food plants. They're like flowers. To have had such beautiful food at one point, and that was so normally consumed. And it does make it easy to understand how these crops are not just food crops, but they're of cultural, religious, spiritual significance to indigenous peoples of the, of the world. There was an intimate link there beyond just sustenance. NSS seed distribution works in a couple different ways. Anyone can buy the seeds but free seed packets are available for Native American growers or community farms with a focus on food access. Andrea oversees a close collaboration with partner farmers. In exchange for the free seeds, NSS trains growers to save a portion of the seeds after harvest. And we ask for a portion of the final seed harvest to be returned to Native Seed Search at the end of the season. For Indigenous growers, we're asking for 25% of the final harvest. For non-Indigenous, 50%. The idea behind this is that seeds remain with the growers and in community. So again, we're just take, asking for a portion back with the idea that, A, we're regenerating our seed supplies so that seed is healthy and in available quantities to keep distributing, but also that seeds, again, are staying back home or in regions of origin. Saving the seeds also allows Native and their partner farmers to select for certain resilient traits. For grains, that can include maturing early, taller plants, and deeper, more complex root systems, which all help the plants to capture and preserve water. Though, Andrea says that sometimes breeding new seed traits or adopting new farming techniques can be a challenging adjustment for farmers, especially those who are deeply rooted in traditional practices. I think young farmers in particular across the board are, are challenged by that question of wanting to do it the way it was, but also working with the conditions of today, both environmentally and economically and resource-based. So it's almost like a a desire for permission to change. 
you know, and that's a heavy burden for a farmer because you're, you have the extra weight of being carriers of a culture and a tradition, but also operating in the realities of today. So I, I see that amongst the growers I work with that it weighs on them somewhat and they're wondering how do we, how do, we do this now? Is it, is it okay to do this? And, and to start selecting the crops for different things and to change the seeds to be okay because these are seeds of our ancestors. But I think, I think what one thing, at least for myself personally, I, I really believe in is just the act of growing those seeds, sharing them, saving them. That's, that's the continuation and the, the, the most powerful way to, to adapt to the pending climate change. It's such a proactive way. And even if how you're doing it, when you, some of these things are changing, the fundamental act is the same, which is growing food to feed your people. By keeping seeds in the fields, NSS sustained an ongoing relationship between people and plants. That's something we've been losing with fewer people farming and larger seed companies controlling the market. But it's important because it embraces natural and human selection pressures to create seeds that will be better adapted to climate change. And it's also important for cultural resilience. A beautiful medley of crops is a vital reminder of the history of indigenous agriculture and a deep connection to the food we eat. Climate change and the erosion of indigenous food rights are not issues exclusive to North America. Governments across Africa, with the support of international agribusiness, have been making a concerted effort to criminalize the trade and sale of local farmers' seeds since as early as the 1960s. Policy instead favors purportedly improved seed varieties marketed by big corporations. These policy decisions, allegedly intended to modernize African agriculture, have pushed the continent down a path towards industrial ag and stripped away farmers' rights and autonomy. The Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa, an advocacy group focused on agroecology, is fighting to safeguard farmer-managed seed systems and local farmers' rights. Nora Peachin speaks with two members of the AFSA Seed Working Group to learn more. My name is Famara Jeju. I'm a Senegalese based in West Africa, where I'm standing as a West Africa Program Officer for the Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa. So I'm Francis Davies and I work with the Zaman Alliance for Agroecology and Biodiversity. The arguments for preserving farmer-managed seed systems are copious. Traditional and indigenous seed systems not only place control in local communities' hands, they also offer greater biodiversity and climate resiliency. Well, they are by their very nature diverse because they can adapt to climate change and they are locally adapted to the local to the local place, which is why they are so important. And, and actually, if we're going to even begin to address some of the challenges of, of climate change, then, then we absolutely have to have this diversity. The Alliance's research shows that seed laws governing African markets deliberately exclude farmer seed varieties from the certifications needed to trade and sell them, on the basis that these seeds do not conform to requirements of distinctness, 
uniformity, and stability. Farmer's seed is not considered as seed. It is said to be grain. Left to the, the bottom of the pile, um, discarded, disrespected, thrown out. Seeds that have developed naturally and over thousands and thousands of years in response to the land may not have the uniformity of industrial seed, but they're typically more nutritional and more flavorful, Famara says. Non-communicable diseases are more present in so-called developed country or industrialized food system than in the countries where they have a lot of biodiversity and when they, where they are eating if I can call it indigenous food. So shall we continue to standardize our food diet or are we going for diversity? If at the end it's about health and long life, I think it's better to go for a farm-managed seed system. And local seeds hold enormous cultural significance, Famara explains. When you come to Africa, if you go to a community, if I say a community, it can be a uh, hundred square kilometers, you will find in that community different ethnic group. And more you have different ethnic group, more you have a type of seed or a type of cereal which they prefer. And it's very related to their consumption system. And it's very related to the way they celebrate a death or a birth. If a type of seed or a variety of seed disappears, there is a way of celebrating birth, death, or any other type of ceremony which will be cancelled or deleted. Francis Famara and their colleagues at the Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa are up against powerful players in their fight to preserve African agricultural traditions, local economies and communities, and the natural environment. We can look to the, to America and we see that the food system is so fundamentally controlled by corporations, and and Africa is in the, the developing the global South is one place that farmers still control their own diverse, beautiful seeds that are the foundation of the African food baskets that provide seventy percent of our food, and corporations are desperately trying to get hold of our seed and to introduce GMOs in order to control agricultural production, to control farmers and to control our food systems, and thus control life. Interest in the struggle against industrial agriculture is growing, though, especially with the last two pandemic years. I think that the whole world is waking up to the fact that we need radical change, and we need radical change urgently, really, really urgently. We were all locked down with the COVID pandemic. And this was directly because we have globalized systems and and we suffered. The world really suffered. And we have to go back to our local spaces, to diversity, to community, to things that work in our local places. And at the very basis of that are diverse beautiful seeds that grow in our local spaces that are adapted to the local environment that work with the local people and sustain and nourish us and the whole world we know this we absolutely know this 
and it is it is the corporations who are keeping a stranglehold on us. Everyone is trying to break free from that grip, and so so the fight is is continuing. As awareness around these issues increases, Francis says, so does support for the work of groups like the Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa. This means their fight won't just continue, it will expand. That's our show. If you'd like to learn more about the people and organizations featured in this episode, head to our show notes. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week. Special thanks this week to Vaidehi Kudyari, Alex Tran, Anna Canny, and Nora Peachin. Meet and 3 is produced by Matt Patterson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out. And just a reminder, HRN is in the midst of our summer membership drive. If you enjoy Meet and 3, please consider a gift of support. Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate for more on our pretty neat swag, or just click the heart in the top right of our homepage. You'll be supporting this program along with our entire portfolio of shows and helping to keep our 501c3 nonprofit alive and thriving.